morning um, will be the last Sunday that Elena will be with us for quite some time. She's going to be heading out to Hillcrest in Arkansas for a time of service. And Elena, I don't know, do you want to share with us what you're going to be doing? Okay, thanks for sharing that. And uh, we're going to have a special time of prayer for her this morning. And Elena, I just want to um, encourage you as you go, think about that last song we sang. You know, Jesus is the same in Arkansas as he is here, and to live with him in faith there. And I just bless you as you go there. So let's pray this time. Father, we bow before you this morning, and we thank you for um, our young people here at church. We thank you especially for Elena this morning and her willingness to serve you in this mission in Arkansas. I just pray that you go with her, bless her in her life, strengthen her as there will undoubtedly be times of challenge and change. Be with her family also here at home as she leaves a hole in their life and also a hole here at church. But I just thank you for her willingness to serve you in this way. Also thank you for the message you have laid upon Lester's heart this morning. I just pray that we would be open to what you have for us as he shares your word with us, may you bless him, clarity of mind, as he brings your word to us. I just pray this all in the name of Jesus. Amen. Fear versus failure. Or fear versus trust, I'm sorry. Fear versus trust, the tale of two kings. The message I've prepared for this morning, um, some of you may recall in March, back in March, I shared a message here about King Uzziah and learning some lessons from his life. So I'm kind of following that trail, and, and this morning I will be looking at the life of King Hezekiah, who was the great-grandson of King Uzziah. In my previous message, I talked about the importance of looking at history and the stories that it tells us and the, the lessons we can learn from previous people's uh, successes and, and their failures as well. If you were privileged to be here at our parent-teacher fellowship, uh, the speaker there reinforced what I was saying that morning of the importance of listening to stories, of hearing stories, of of, of learning from them, other people's experiences and, and what they can teach us. So I invite you to turn to the book of Second Kings. Now this account that um, I'm just looking at, at one particular part of King Hezekiah's life and that is his confrontation that he had with the Assyrian king um, Sennacherib. You may be familiar with this story, probably more of you are familiar with it than, than the story of King Uzziah because this account is recorded three times in the Bible. In, in Isaiah, it happened during Isaiah's time, Isaiah the prophet, so he records it in, in his book. And it's also recorded in 2 Kings and in 2 Chronicles. Um, 2 Kings chapter 18 and 19 is primarily where I'm going to be um, reading from. Uh, also, we'll be probably reading some from the account in Second Chronicles because of some of the details that are given there. 
fear versus trust. I think first we need to explain or understand what I'm referring to when I'm talking about fear here. As I, I realize that the word fear in the scriptures, if you go back, especially in the Old Testament, so it was the Old Testament was written in Hebrew and then translated you know, over into English. And in the Hebrew language, there's, there's multiple words in the Old Testament. I didn't even look for sure how many, but it's at least three different words that are translated as fear in our English Bible. So there's a variety of meanings there, and we just lump it all into this word fear. And in the New Testament, uh, that was originally written in Greek, in the Greek language, it's, it's mostly, fear was mostly interpreted or taken from, from one Greek word, but again, it has a, a broader meaning than, than sometimes we think of when we use the word fear. So I don't want to cause confusion. I, I think sometimes there's some scripture verses that we can pretty easily pull out of context that talk about fear. Um, for example, in 1 John, uh, it says there's no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear. But yet the scripture also tells us that we are to love God, and it also tells us we are to fear God. So there's the, the word fear can have this meaning of, of dread, of frightfulness, of being scared, but it can also have the meaning of being in awe or showing reverence, being in reverence before or respect. And that's what, what the scripture is usually talking about when it, when it talks about the fear of God, uh, being, being in awe of him. So in the English language, um, if we see a, a big explosion and we, we stand in awe of, of the power of, of that explosion or maybe a rocket going off, we say that's awesome. Not, not that so much that it's fearful, though, though it could be fearful, but we tend to use the word awesome more. And then when, when there's something that endangers our lives, we, we live in fear. We're fearful. Something scares us, we're fearful. So, but, but that word is oftentimes in, in the Bible um, just used as one word, as the word fear. The fear I'm talking about this morning is, is a fear of being afraid, being um, scared, being um, when our lives are threatened or something that's valuable to us is, is um, threatened or being taken away. It's that type of fear. It's not a fear of being in awe or in reverence. Um, we should be careful not to oversimplify this relationship of fear and trust. So in, in one sense, they're, they're opposites. Generally, if we fear somebody, we don't trust them. The more we fear them, the less we trust them. The more we trust them, the less we fear them. Now, now God, we're supposed to fear and trust him, and, and we can do that to him because he's perfect. Uh, we should be a sense of fear of the judgment that he brings. There should be a sense of awe and reverence before him because of his power, and we also should completely trust him. But... Fear, as we experience it, is an emotion that, that God has given to us, uh, that we wouldn't want to be completely without fear. So if, we, if something hurts us, there's pain, we, we react in fear to that, and that's good. But fear can also overwhelm us, and, and as we look at this example this morning, I think that's primarily what, what we're seeing happening here is, is a fear that has the potential to overwhelm somebody, somebody being so scared that that they react in the wrong way. <clears throat> and then also 
on the other side of trust that, that can overcome that fear. So if somebody is afraid and, and they're afraid of something that I'm really not afraid of at all, it's easy for me to judge them and say, what, why do you need to be so afraid? And yet it's something that, that hasn't caused fear in my life. It's easy to say, well, just trust. You don't need to be afraid. But when we trust, trust is a way of overcoming fear. But just because we feel fear doesn't mean we're not being trustful either. And, and we'll see that here in the life of King Hezekiah. So I want to, first of all, a little background here to, to King Hezekiah. His father was King Ahaz. And Ahaz here had made an agreement with the nation of Assyria and, and the king, um, it wasn't King Sennacherib at that time, it was a previous king to him, but he made an agreement with Assyria to have them help him fight against Syria and against Israel and some of his enemies. Um, so he was, in a sense, ally with them, but Chronicles also does tell us that, that he, he paid, uh, he gave gold and silver to the king of Assyria to, to bribe him, I guess, into helping him, and it says that the king of Assyria really wasn't a help to him in the end. So there was maybe some deception going on there, but Ahaz was not known as a godly man at all. He was a wicked king in, in Judah, and he made this agreement with an enemy to, to help him. So he convinced him by giving him gold and silver, both from the Lord's house and from his own treasuries. It tells us in 2 Kings 16. And he also, Ahaz ended up um, just pretty much destroying and turning upside down the, the whole worship and system they had in the temple at that time. He was disobedient to the law, to God's commands. He, he built, he fashioned an, an altar after the altars of, of some of the surrounding countries that were worshiping other gods. And he himself offered sacrifices on there, which was not something that the king was supposed to do. And he pretty much left the nation of Judah fall into idolatry and the temple into ruins. We could go through Second Chronicles, several chapters there describes all the, the, um, the things that happened while he was king, that he just left things um, fall into disarray pretty much. It says the nation of Judah was in distress because of Ahaz. So this was King Hezekiah's father. But then Hezekiah became king, and we see him as a very different man, very different ruler. He brings reform. He was committed to restoring the worship of God in the temple in Jerusalem. And he, so this time Judah and Israel were divided nations. They each had a separate king. And he went so far as to invite Israel to come to Jerusalem to worship. And some of them did. He rebuilt the ruins of the temple and, and the, 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 the um, artifacts, the things in there that they used for worship that had been destroyed. He restored that. He again um, brought in priests and Levites, and they offered sacrifices. And it talks there in um, 2 Chronicles 29 to 31 in great detail of, of all the sacrifices that they brought. And there were so many sacrifices, it says the priests couldn't keep after in skinning and, and offering these animals. So the Levites helped them as well. And the people were rejoicing. They were singing, and they were happy because uh, they were again worshiping God as the, the law had instructed them to. So Hezekiah was very influential in bringing about all of this reform and again turning them back to God. 
It also says in 2 Kings 18 here that he refused to cooperate with the king of Assyria as his father did. He rebelled against them, it says. And this was not a rebellion that, that God looked at as, as evil or as wrong, but rather I think he was blessed by God for that. They were not to cooperate with the nations around them. And Hezekiah said, enough of this. We're not going to cooperate with you anymore. So all this leads us up to his confrontation with then King Sennacherib, the king of Assyria. I want to read 2 Kings 18 verses, I think, 13 through 35, just to get the picture of what is happening here. And then I want to look at King Sennacherib as a king of fear and King Hezekiah as a king of trust. <clears throat> Chapter 18, verse 13. In the 14th year of King Hezekiah, Sennacherib, king of Assyria, came up against all the fortified cities of Judah and took them. Then Hezekiah, king of Judah, sent to the king of Assyria of, Lash of Lachish, saying, I have done wrong. Turn away from me. Whatever you impose on me, I will pay. And the king of Assyria assessed Hezekiah, king of Judah, 300 talents of silver and 30 talents of gold. So Hezekiah gave him all the silver that was found in the house of the Lord and in the treasuries of the king's house. At that time, Hezekiah stripped the gold from the doors of the temple of the Lord and from the pillars which Hezekiah, king of Judah, had overlaid and gave it to the king of Assyria. Then the king of Assyria sent the Tartan, the Rabsaris, the Rabshakeh from Lachish with a great army against Jerusalem. And just to clarify, those are not names of people, but rather, as I understand it, were terms that were used um, for a position in the Assyrian Empire, probably something like a commander and a chief or a commander in chief or a chief officer of the king, those three men. They went up and came to Jerusalem. When they had come up, they went and stood by the aqueduct from the upper pool, which was on the highway to the fuller's field. And when they had called to the king, Eliakim, the son of Hilkiah, who was over the household, Shebna, the scribe, and Joah, the son of Asaph, the recorder, came out to them. Then the Rabshakeh said to them, Say now to Hezekiah, thus says the great king, the king of Assyria, What confidence is this in which you trust? You speak of having plans and power for war, but they are mere words. And in whom do you trust that you rebel against me? Now look, you are trusting in the staff of this broken reed, Egypt, on which, if a man leans, it will go into his hand and pierce it. So is Pharaoh, king of Egypt, to all who trust in him. And if you say to me, we trust in the Lord our God, is it not he whose high places and whose altars Hezekiah has taken away and said to Judah and Jerusalem, you shall worship before this altar in Jerusalem? Now therefore I urge you to, to give a pledge to my master, the king of Assyria, and I will give you 2,000 horses if you're able to put on your part to put riders on them. How then will you repel one captain of the least of my master's servants and put your trust in Egypt for chariots and horsemen? Have I now come up without the Lord against this place to destroy it? The Lord said to me, go up against this land and destroy it. Then Eliakim, the son of Hilkiah, Shebna, and Joah said to the Rabshakeh, Please speak to the, your servants in Aramaic, for we understand it. And do not speak to us in Hebrew in the hearing of the people who are on the wall. For the Rabshakeh said to them, Has my master sent me to your master and to you to speak these words and not to the men who sit on the wall? who will eat and drink their own waste with you. Then the Rabshakeh stood and called out with a loud voice in Hebrew and spoke, saying, hear the, word, <clears throat> hear the word of the great king, the king of Assyria. Thus says the king, Do not let Hezekiah deceive you, 
for he shall not be able to deliver you from his hand. Nor let Hezekiah make you trust in the Lord, saying, The Lord will surely deliver us. This city shall not be given into the hand of the king of Assyria. Do not listen to Hezekiah, for thus says the king of Assyria, Make peace with me by a present, and come out to me, and every one of you eat from his own vine, and every one from his own fig tree, and every one of you drink the water of his own cistern, until I come and take you away to a land like your own land, a land of grain and new wine, a land of bread and vineyards, a land of olive groves and honey, that you may live and not die. But do not listen to Hezekiah, lest he persuade you, saying, The Lord will deliver us. Has any of the gods of the nations at all delivered its land from the hand of the king of Assyria? Where are the gods of Habath and Arpha? Where are the gods of Serovim and Hina and Iva? Indeed, have they delivered Samaria from my hand? Who among all the gods of the lands have delivered their countries from my hand, that the Lord should deliver Jerusalem from his hand? From my hand, I'm sorry. And I'll stop reading there. Here we see the threat of King Sennacherib and his men. <clears throat> Sennacherib, the king of fear. What we want to see here is how he used fear and what its effect was on the people. First of all, it tells us he took all the fortified cities of Jerusalem. So he was, all the, I'm sorry, the fortified cities of Judah, except Jerusalem. So he was closing in here on Jerusalem, their capital city, their place of worship. And he had taken them by force. So that his use of force was instilling fear in these people. Little by little, he took more and more land from them. We also see that he was deceptive in verses 14 and 15. Hezekiah paid him what he had assessed him. I understand it to mean um, Hezekiah offered to pay him to, to let him go, to give them peace, to stay away. However, he still, after Hezekiah paid him, he took all the gold and silver, even had to strip the gold off the doors of the temple. He paid him, but he still came and threatened them. So Sennacherib was deceptive. Another thing we notice is where these three men from Sennacherib stood when they came to Jerusalem to threaten them. It says they stood by the aqueduct from the upper pool, which was on the highway of the Fuller's Field. They were standing in a place, they, they came up to the city close to them, and, and indicating here, I think, that they were able to control their water source. One of the, the primary um, concerns for a fortified city like Jerusalem, and we could see this if we read more details in these accounts, but they had walls to protect themselves. They had sources of water, so an enemy will come and lay siege on their city, surround them, and simply hold them in that city till they would starve or, or become so miserable that they would surrender. So obviously it was important they had a water source, a good water source, for the city during this time that they were surrounded. So what they were doing here is, is showing that we're able to stand right here at your water source and control it. We can come this close to you, and we're not afraid to come to this city and lay siege and surround you. <clears throat> so by their position, by the place they stood, they were being threatening. They were threatening to cut off the water supply of the city. Water was, was a very important um, 
resource for them, obviously, with all these people living in the city. And in one of the accounts here, I think it's in Chronicles, it tells us that in preparation, as Hezekiah saw that, that his city was going to be next, um, they went out and they plugged a bunch of the wells around the city. They said, why, why should Assyria have all this water to themselves? We can plug up these wells, and that way when, when they're standing outside of our city, at least um, they will have a hard time finding water. <clears throat> we also see how these men spoke loudly and boldly and how they boasted and intimidated in the words that they used. In verses 26 through 30 there, the, the three representatives that came out here from King Hezekiah said, you talk to us in Aramaic. We understand that language. We don't want all the people to hear what you're saying. We'll, we'll just negotiate right here. But they said, they said, no, they spoke loudly in Hebrew so that the, the people on the wall would hear them. Obviously, an attempt to, to intimidate them. They boasted of the power that they had. They talked about giving them horses if they're able to put riders on them. And I think it was a, a way of mocking them and saying, you know, we could give you 2,000 horses you, if you could even put riders on them, but we'd still beat you. We'd still come up against you. <clears throat> and other, other, in other ways, too, they, they sought to put fear in them to intimidate them by boasting of their power. They talked of, uh, they belittled the power of God. They talked of God as being on the same level as all these other gods. And they referred to, to the other cities around them that they had already captured. And, and the Assyrian Empire this time was, was taking over. See, Sennacherib had, had taken over the, the nation from his father. And oftentimes in those early years of a new king coming in, it was very different from our democratic um, form of government that we have today. Usually a king reigned until he no longer could, until he was physically no longer able to. And then the next person in line would come in, and they kind of have to um, prove themselves. They'd have to show that, that they can rule this nation and uh, this army um, as well as their predecessor did, or, or as well as, as previous. They had to hold up that reputation of being able to be a powerful king. And so that's, I think, where Sennacherib was now, um, showing that, that he could indeed, um, he had the power to, to go out and, and get the land that he wanted. So they speak of God as on the same level as the other gods. Here they underestimated the power of God. Fear does not recognize the power of God. We also see that they did speak truth, but they spoke truth with the intent to intimidate. When they talked about trusting in Egypt, they're in verse 21. You're trusting in the staff of this broken reed Egypt, on which if a man leans it will go into his hand and pierce it. I think in that situation, what they were saying was true. If you look in the book of Isaiah, um, Isaiah prophesied, uh, he, he warned Judah and Israel of depending on Egypt for their help. And there's some indication that perhaps King Hezekiah here had made a request to Egypt that they will come and help him as he saw what was going to happen. See, at that time, as armies moved and advanced and closed in on each other, I think it took a lot more time than what armies do today. And so they had Hezekiah quite a bit of warning of, of what was coming here. And so he had some time to prepare. And it's possible here that one of the things he did was, was attempt to get Egypt to come and help him. 
So I think what they were saying was true, but they were using that. Um, they were not warning Hezekiah and his people that, that you know, God told you not to trust in Egypt. They, they were saying, you, know, you can do that, but Egypt is not going to help you. Again, they're, they're using the truth as a way to um, demoralize and intimidate them. Fear also tries to make surrender look attractive. They tried to entice these people to surrender. They really didn't want to spend all the energy to come here and tear down the walls of their city. They wanted to convince them to surrender. And they said in verse um, 30, they said, don't, don't trust in Hezekiah. Don't believe him. Don't listen to him. Come make peace with us. Bring a present to us. This they said, interestingly, shortly after the time when Hezekiah had indeed offered them a present and they still came threatening. But here they're saying, look, uh, you can bring us a present, bring us some more money, some gifts, come out to us and, and we'll give you a comfortable place to live. Fear tries to make surrender look attractive. So God had promised them this land, the people of Judah and Israel, as their own land. He had promised them that this was a place that they would have all they needed as far as, as physical, um, their physical needs, the food, the, the, the way that the crops would grow and what the land would yield to them. But these men of Sennacherib said, come join us. We can give you all the same things. Ultimately, fear, with fear, they wanted to empower themselves. King Sennacherib was, like I said, trying to gain more for himself. He wanted to empower himself. Just last Sunday, as Mel was preaching about the temptation that Jesus faced there in the wilderness when Satan came to him and tempted him, I had to think of this because Satan there was using this tactic of fear as well threatening, uh, you know, if you are the son of God, questioning his identity, saying you are, you're not really, don't really have this power that you claim to have as the son of God. If you would, you know, you could turn these stones into bread. And he was using fear. And Satan's intent was to empower himself, obviously, not to give that honor and glory to God. Then we see Hezekiah's response. Hezekiah, the king of trust. What does it look like to trust? And how can we use that to overcome fear? I already mentioned this, how that it appears like Hezekiah made some attempts to, to pacify the king Sennacherib, then convince him not to come and attack them, and possibly um, calling on Egypt for help as well. So I think one of the things we see in Hezekiah is that while he was not a perfect man, not claiming that he always trusted God the way that he should, in Proverbs 3.11 it says, Whom the Lord loves, he chastens. Sometimes God pulls out the props from under us in order to build our trust in him. And I think that may have been what was happening here in, in this situation with King Hezekiah as well. Maybe the king Hezekiah called on Egypt to help him and Egypt refused. He, he tried to give all this gold and silver to King Sennacherib so that he'd leave him alone, and that didn't work either. Maybe God was pulling out the props in order to show Hezekiah that he really needed to trust God in this. 
I have several more points here, and I'll be skipping around to um, some different passages that I haven't read already. But number one here, uh, the arm of flesh versus the arm of our Lord. In 2 Chronicles 32, verse 8, where it gives us this account, it says that, so Hezekiah here was making some preparation for um, a confrontation with the military, with his, using his military against the king of Assyria. But he also um, had some words for his army, for his people. And he said this to them, I'll read 7 and 8. Be strong and courageous, do not be afraid or dismayed before the king of Assyria, nor before all the multitude that is with him, for there are more with us than with him. With him is an arm of flesh, but with us is the Lord our God, to help us and to fight our battles. And the people were strengthened by the words of Hezekiah, king of Judah. An arm of flesh versus the Lord our God. Hezekiah told them that there's more with us than with them. Now, I don't think he meant that their army outnumbered the Assyrian army. He just meant that they had more power if they had God on their side. I think Hezekiah now is at a place where the props have been pulled out. He's realizing he really are going to need to trust in God to overcome this. They were, fear was building as they saw what the Assyrian army was doing. And if you read the first couple verses of this chapter here, it is where they talk about going out and, and stopping up the wells so that the Syrian army wouldn't have water. It says they, they built the walls greater around Jerusalem and they made some preparation. But he realized that that was not enough. They needed God on their side. Just to build up his military and their defenses was not enough. They needed God on their side. And he strengthened the people by reminding them that they indeed did have the Lord on their side. Another thing we see him doing here in trust is that he instructed the people here not to respond to these three men that came from King Sennacherib. Tells us that the people were, were silent. They did not respond to these threats that they were shouting out to them in Hebrew so they could understand. They didn't say anything. Hold your peace in trust. Trust doesn't engage in fruitless arguments. And trust doesn't rely on the power of words. So Hezekiah instructed the people, don't respond to them. Just don't say anything. That was a sign of trust. <clears throat> in chapter 19 of 2 Kings, in verses 2 through 4, when fear is overwhelming you, call for help from God's people. This was now those three men that Hezekiah sent out there to talk to Sennacherib's men. They came back and told Hezekiah what they were saying. And the king, it says, he tore his clothes, he covered himself with sackcloth, and went into the house of the Lord. And he sent Eliakim, who was over the household, Shebna the scribe, and the elders of the priests, covered with sackcloth, to Isaiah the prophet, the son of Amos. And they said to him, Thus says Hezekiah, This day is a day of trouble and rebuke and blasphemy. For the children have come to birth, but there is no strength to bring them forth. It may be that the Lord your God will hear all the words of the Rabshakeh, whom his master, the king of Assyria, has sent to reproach the living God, and will rebuke the words which the Lord your God has heard. Therefore lift up your prayer for the remnant that is left. Hezekiah sends for a godly man, for the prophet Isaiah. He calls for help. 
When fear is overwhelming you, call for help from godly people. Hezekiah did not deny his fear, but acknowledged it and asked for help. Some of you may recall the popular slogan a number of years back of no fear. No fear will be printed on t-shirts and hats and bumper stickers. This is trusting that we see here in Hezekiah's life is very different from that. That slogan, as I understand it, was more of an arrogant term of I can handle this. Nothing will scare me. But Hezekiah acknowledged his fear and turned and asked for help. In verse 14, this was now, I think, the second time that Sennacherib's men came threatening them and sent them, this time sent them a letter. This letter was brought to King Hezekiah. And he read the letter. It says in verse 14, Hezekiah received the letter from the hand of the messengers and read it. And Hezekiah went up to the house of the Lord and spread it before the Lord. His first response again to this threat is to go to God. He goes up to the house of the Lord, into the presence of the Lord, and brings this before him. The second thing I see here that he does is he takes this letter and he spreads it out, spreads it out before the Lord. Now, God knew what was in that letter. God knew what it said. He could have just as well crumbled it up, thrown it into the trash, and then went to the Lord and said, what am I to do with this? But this was, I think, a physical sign more for himself than for God. That I am trusting in you. I'm going to spread this out before you. Sometimes it's helpful when we feel overwhelmed by fear. To use a physical sign, remind ourselves where I trust this. Whatever your fear might be, whatever situation you might be in, is there a physical sign you can use that may be helpful? That you are putting your trust in God. And then we see Hezekiah um, praying to God in the end of chapter 19 here. He says, O Lord God of Israel, in verse 15, the one who dwells between the cherubim, you are God, you alone, of all the kingdoms of the earth, you have made heaven and earth. Incline your ear, O Lord, and hear. Open your eyes, O Lord, and see. And hear the words of Sennacherib, which he has sent to reproach the living God. Truly, Lord, the kings of Assyria have laid waste the nations and their lands, and have cast their gods into the fire, for they were not gods, but the work of men's hands, wood and stone. Therefore they destroyed them. Now therefore, Lord our God, I pray, save us from his hand, that all the kingdoms of the earth may know that you are the Lord God, you alone. In this prayer, Hezekiah describes God. He, he, he tells God, how he sees him, what he sees him as. He speaks of God, or he speaks to God of who he believes him to be, a God who made all the kingdoms of the earth, the holy God that stands between the cherubim, the God of Israel. When we feel overwhelmed by fear, it's a sign of trust when we can come to God and tell him who he is. It will build our trust as we realize how big God is. And we tell him what we believe about him. And ultimately, Hezekiah surrenders to God's greater plan. I think this is a very important part, too. We, we understand that, that the things we fear today, 
things that threaten us are not always miraculously taken away. But we need to surrender to God's greater plan. In verse 19, he says, I pray, save us from his hand that all the kingdoms of the earth may know that you are the Lord God, you alone. That was Hezekiah's desire, that, that the world would know who God is. And whatever our fears may be, can we surrender to that and say, God, I don't know how you want to handle this. I don't know how you want me to handle this. But I want the world to know that you are God. So ultimately, he surrenders to God's great plan. <clears throat> and then the outcome we see as we continue reading in chapter 19. Um, I'll just read 35 through 37 there at the end. This is the outcome. It came to pass on a certain night that the angel of the Lord went out and killed in the camp of the Assyrians 185,000. And when people arose early in the morning, there were corpses all dead. So Sennacherib, king of Assyria, departed and went away, returned home, and remained at Nineveh. It came to pass, as he was worshiping in the temple of Nishrod, his god, that his sons Aramelech and Shemrazer struck, struck him down with the sword, and they escaped into the land of Ararat. Then Esherhaban, his son, reigned in his place. We see what God said about the power of Assyria. In verses 27 and 28, he said to them, and this was through the prophet Isaiah, I know your dwelling place, you're going out, you're coming in, and your rage against me. Because your rage against me and your tumult have come up to my ears, therefore I will put my hook in your nose and my bridle in your lips, and I will turn you back by the way which you came. God used Assyria, but he also told them, I know your dwelling place. I know who you are. I know your rage against me. And God was far greater than their power. They had underestimated his power. And I'd like to read a couple more verses here in, in chapter 19. And just there's one more point I have here to touch on. Um, Isaiah prophesying here, or Isaiah giving this this um, is his response to Hezekiah and what God was saying to him. He says in verse 29, This shall be a sign to you. Shall eat this year such as grows of itself, and in the second year what springs from the same. Also in the third year sow and reap, plant vineyards, and eat the fruit of them. And the remnant who have escaped of the house of Judah shall again take root downward and bear fruit upward. For out of Jerusalem shall go a remnant, and those who escape from Mount Zion. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. What he's telling Hezekiah is that you are going to, again, prosper. This is not your end. This is not the end that God has intended for you. Out of Jerusalem shall go a remnant and those who escape from Mount Zion. The promise of this remnant in 30 and 31, does this apply to us today? Um, so, so we know that in this situation, God said, no, this is not your end and, and yes, I'm going to come and destroy Assyria, Sennacherib. And, and he did so in a miraculous way by bringing an angel to kill thousands of them. But what about our fears today? Is this promise for us? I think it is. Revelations 11 verse 5 says, So even so at this present time there is a remnant according to the election of grace. 
This goes on to show then in Revelations how that this um, election of grace includes the Gentiles. It's not just for the Jews, but it's for God's people, all of God's people. If we continue to look through scripture in uh, 1 Thessalonians chapter 4 and also in the book of Revelations, it talks about um, a remnant. It talks about those who remain. It doesn't use the word remnant. But it talks about those who remain. And I think that's the promise that's here for us. Whatever our fears might be, whatever challenges we may be facing, God has said you know, there, there is a way through this. There's a way to survive, to come through this. There is a remnant that will remain. And in the last day, uh, Revelations talks about that angel coming and, and destroying the enemy. 18 verse 21 of Revelations. A mighty angel took up a stone like a great millstone and threw it into the sea, saying, Thus with violence the great city of Babylon shall be thrown down and shall not be found any more. Our fears may be small or great, maybe sickness, death, the loss of people we love and things we value, maybe things like cancer or war or natural disasters or accidents or, or just simply a fear of failing in whatever our responsibilities are as, as parents or as leaders. But all these we can face like King Hezekiah did. We don't need to argue. We don't need to argue with the devil. We can turn to God. He will deliver us. He has an answer. <clears throat> God may not deliver us in miraculous ways from all these things we fear. But we have a promise of a great deliverance if we put our trust in God. Let's bow our heads for prayer. Father, we thank you for this story of King Hezekiah and how he dealt with the enemy who was threatening him. How he dealt with fear, how he overcame it by putting his trust in you. We know that you have a great plan for your people, the remnant that remain, and you will one day destroy all evil. We want to put our trust in you. Help us to be like Hezekiah in turning to you when we are afraid. Coming before you, spreading before you the fears that we have, the challenges we face. Thank you for your faithfulness. That you are great and powerful. Regardless of how big the enemy may seem. That if we have the Lord on our side, we will overcome. Thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand together for a closing song.